kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Speedy race cars are back in their hometown of England uh, this week. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me is Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. Um, uh, apologies to our Welsh and Scottish listeners. Um, it is the British Grand Prix, Drew, not the English. We can't say it. We can't say. I mean, Brexit might, might have <laughs> knockout effects. We mightn't be having the same conversation this time next year. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm always happy to come to uh, Silverstone because it's one of uh, one of two or three three races of the year that you don't have to speak in a, a foreign language and do all your Google Translate stuff before we start. So congratulations. Right. I could just pick this uh, Pink Floyd lyric off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, also joining us is Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. Uh, really looking forward to Silverstone. Doesn't always throw like reliably throw up great races, but it is such a great circuit. Yeah, it's one of those with uh, a whole lot of history, which we will get to uh, later in the show. If you are new to the podcast, by the way, welcome. Uh, if you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which uh, assumes no prior F1 knowledge uh, and gives the lowdown on the sport, uh, how it works and who everybody is. So uh, if you want to go back and listen to that, it is episode 59. Uh, also, this show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com shiftf1 where also every month we release at least one bonus podcast and bonus video exclusively for our patrons uh, covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and uh, a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that stuff, uh, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or uh, click the link in the show notes. What do we have going up there this month, Danny? Uh, I think you covered it last week, the, the the last F1 game history, which went up, which was all about F1 2019, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on as well. Uh, we'll have another F1 game history going up. Uh, the vote for that is going to go up in the next couple of days. Uh, we also have our Drive to Survive, I guess, episode two of our uh retrospect or our, our our series covering that which is going mm-hmm. to be uh episodes i believe four five and six yeah. of uh drive to survive the uh the series that is currently available on netflix uh yeah and we've uh we've got some other fun stuff planned we have uh, uh i guess the off season is coming up next month and we're going to do some some maybe maybe we'll have some extra stuff uh to, to fill in the gap there for patrons indeed uh today today however we will be discussing the upcoming British Grand Prix. But first, the news. Danny, you want to kick it off for us here? Sure. Um, uh, really happy to see um, some more bants from everyone's favorite McLaren drivers, uh, Lando Norris and uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. Um, I, 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 so this, I guess, announcement is, is it's not so much of a press release as it is just kind of just a Twitter video, uh, which Lando, <laughs> Nar- which is just the way Lando Norris operates, I guess. These millennial, I don't know, he's, what is he? He's not a millennium. He's like a child. He's a zoomer. <laughs> he's a z- <laughs> right. Generation A, where we've learned, loop back around. Double A, yeah, yeah. Um, he's uh, he posted a video today on his uh, on his uh, at Lando Norris's private Twitter, um, saying that uh, he will be at McLaren next year. Uh, in fact, his words uh, exactly are really happy to announce that I'm staying with McLaren F1 next year. Not so happy about Carlos still being around, but you can't win them all. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, an almost two minute video uh, with himself and uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. having some uh, some some mad bants, lad bants uh, outside of a, a British pub um, talking about um, 
uh, all the things they're looking forward to, which if I remember correctly, were um, maybe some more good results, uh, more time playing FIFA, more time in the simulator, and Carlos Sainz refers to him as a meme lord at one stage. <laughs> he's he said, not more, wrong. More meme lord. No, he's great. London Iris is a, is a real treat on Twitter, um, which is... Uh, a hell website if you're not already on it uh, but if you are at Lando Norris he's uh he's definitely worth checking out so yeah I mean I feel like they're I, I, I'm not I don't think any big surprise here I feel like the two of them have performed well enough I think McLaren are in a building phase and having that stability is was, was always going to be the case unless something mad happened um so yeah it's it's I think cool to see them announce it kind of this early in the season, I guess. Stuff is yeah. just kind of like approaching the midpoint, but like, you know, it's uh it could be, could have been the type of thing that came later down the road. So I don't know. I think it shows a degree of sort of uh trust in the two of them that, you know, even no matter what happens with the rest of the season that they are who they want sitting in those McLarens um uh, next year. So yeah, happy for them both. I like them both. Did you guys catch any uh speaking of videos floating around the internet uh any of the goodwood festival of speed that was this weekend the only thing i saw was jackie stewart giving his wife a rose after one of the classic car um outings which i thought was quite sweet but i didn't catch any of the races i was back from copenhagen and just spending time off computers with my family for a couple of days so goodwood the goodwood festival of speed uh is (laughs) it's kind of like a it's kind of like race car E3. You know, they're not... And actually, there were some announcements, frankly. They had the uh, Formula E Support Series Robo Race. They had their development car go up oh the hill gosh. climb. And the, the, the principal location for the Goodwood Festival is this hill climb circuit. That's like, you know, cars do it in, you know, uh, a minute or something. But... It's kind of just this one car after the other does the hill climb and, oh, what's going to be next? What's going to be next? It's almost like a parade, but one car at a time. (laughs) And it's the place where you will see Dario Franchitti driving Jackie Stewart's Indy 500 car from 1966, you know? Or Valtteri Bottas going out in last year's Mercedes and lighting up his tires. Or Lando Norris driving some weird old McLaren that's huge and orange, you know? It's kind of like this big... It's it's a... it's a very festive atmosphere and feels kind of like, like a, a like a, a racing, racing holiday. Yeah, like a f- racing variety show or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and they do a good job. They streamed it. Goodwood did on their YouTube channel and have bumped out a lot of those clips into a YouTube playlist that you can just go and watch. So I will link oh, that cool. uh, in the show notes. There's a uh, yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Just well, good for browsing around. What was the Robo? I have to admit, I have literally not thought about Robo Race in at least twelve months. They go they go dark for a while. Yeah. Yeah, so what, what, I guess what was the latest? Because the, the last thing they did was they had a, the Robo car go around one of the Formula E tracks last season. I forget uh, which one it was. I think they've done a couple this season too. Oh, really? Okay. And then they brought it to Goodwood and had it do the hill climb um, with with AI, like computer vision, not with GPS right. or anything. The, uh, the representative actually said uh, that GPS would not work because of all the buildings and the trees and stuff. So it is actually using computer vision oh, wow. to do, which is pretty impressive. Uh, I was mentioning in the, the the cloth map discord that I was impressed, especially consider, considering I live in San Francisco, where I see a lot of <laughs> driverless car development vehicles, yes. which are terrible. 
they drive like complete idiots uh especially the ones i think they're called crews which are owned by general motors jalopnik just did some article that was like the gm driverless cars are riddled with bugs and uh are, it's not going well but are these the ones where like you see them driving automatically but there's someone sitting in the in the front seat yeah the, uh, every time i've looked in there there's someone sitting with their hands on the wheel so i think okay. that's a, a safety measure um they're not playing like tap tap games on their phone or anything <laughs> you would hope not <laughs> so yeah i'll link uh i'll link goodwood uh and i don't know if i'll link this article but i did want to point this out we got linked to this one a bunch on twitter <laughs> espn reporting on an article from the times in the uk uh i don't know about you danny i can never tell whether a uk based publication is or is not um a tabloid a tabloid what yeah. is the times is the times good the times is a broadsheet um it is not a tabloid but in the year of our lords 2019 i feel like nothing stops any newspaper from dipping into the the bottomless pit of our culture um i wouldn't read the times personally but it's a i guess a reputable newspaper okay. it's not the daily mail right but it has like a okay. tory leaning right yeah, it'd be more kind so of it's like... It's more like the journey to the daily... The, sorry, the, the Wall Street Journal to like the daily news. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fair. We got some quotes here from one Bernie Eccleston who used to own Formula One. Now he is... what is, He has his official title in here. Uh, honorary title of Chairman Emeritus. So <laughs> Bernie Eccleston said in this interview, for some reason... <clears throat> If someone had a machine gun and was prepared to shoot Putin, I would stand in front of him because he's a good guy. He's never done anything that isn't doing good things for people. Yeah, I mean, what what, what head of the ex-head of the KGB hasn't really? They'd he goes still on to get say, him, by the way. Bert. Like that wouldn't like. I mean, feel free, Bernie. <laughs> like they'll just they'll just hold the trigger longer. Bernie, uh, <laughs> of course, is fine with this because Bernie is in fact a vampire and True. will never die. And unless the bullets are imbued with some sort of garlic essence, he's he's going to outlive us all. It I think is... his next quote is particularly telling. He says, I would like him running Europe. We haven't got anybody, so oh, it couldn't be Christ. any worse. He does what he says he's going to do. I am not a supporter of democracy. You need a dictator. As a dictator, you say, this is what I'm going to do. In democracy, it gets watered down. You know what? You got to respect somebody who's like that close to the finish line. Just like, fuck it. You know, unload the last of your cartridge into the sky. Just like go out being your true self. No more. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, his public persona anymore. He's chairman of Emeritas, some sort of dark corporate. I don't he know. Says, he says, uh, it just means that I don't do any work. Cool. He says yeah. that about his title. Uh, I do that so many other out. things. I'm probably busier now than when I had a job. People come and see me with different problems. I was dealing with someone this morning from one of the teams. I like making deals. I'm a really, I'm, I'm really a used car dealer. I hope it was one of the teams going to him, telling him that his circuit in the south of France is dog shit and that he should change it. He always claims like the teams are like coming to kiss the ring and yeah. it never sounds completely on the up and up. Like he does this thing where he talks a good game about 
oh man, I love being retired, but I'm still so busy. Everyone wants my opinion. I still am the man behind the curtain. And he ain't anymore. <laughs> like, the thing is, Bernie Ecclestone was the dictator for years. I have no doubt that he does feel an affinity with a guy like Vladimir Putin. Um, but also, he has been marginalized. That one is much more corporate now. And the big players are no longer like individual owner operators who Bernie could easily bully. They're corporations like Mercedes, right? So like the the idea that everyone's going there to consult with Bernie about like the the best way forward. No, that that just ain't it anymore, man. Like this is this is like what if King Lear just were, were just like chose to believe he were still in charge the entire length of the play and was chill about it because that's basically the phase Bernie is in. Yeah, he's spending way too much time trying to find younger and younger wives so he can harvest their life essence and live forever. That's that's Bernie's day to day now. Speaking of uh, of big personalities, <laughs> Rob, what else you got for us here? So uh, there was just a interesting little item over at Autosport. Uh, basically, so Luca de Montezemolo went on the official F1 podcast, apparently, and talked about how Fernando Alonso can be kind of a difficult person to work with on a team. Yeah, and what I find is what I find very funny about this is this also feels like a little bit. A stab in the back. Like, Alonzo, if memory serves, was Montezemolo's play. Montezemolo absolutely hitched his wagon to Alonzo and was eager to be the guy. Sort of like Jerry Krause and the Bulls at the like end of the 90s, where you have this really successful organization, but you've always felt you didn't like you should get more credit for it. And it's also time to maybe blow it up and start anew. Montezemolo really wanted Alonzo and moved heaven and earth to make that happen. And it went really badly. And so to a degree, and also like Montezemolo always gave off a vibe. It's just kind of being an infamous asshole. So this interview does have a little bit of, so these are some very old sour grapes, I think from a guy who (laughs) feels burned and was pretty happy to hand Alonzo the keys to that kingdom. Um, right up until Ferrari pulled the plug on Montezemolo. However, they when they talked to the Toyota, the head of the uh, Toyota World Endurance uh, program, and asked him about his experiences working with Alonzo, uh, because Alonzo just left the team. So he just left Toyota, mm-hmm. and all that uh, the director of the Toyota team said was, we saw a few sparks, but generally I think somebody like he is, you're not easygoing, you'll have your rough edges. It was just a few sparks, but I can't for- confirm anything that others spoke about him in the past. I don't know those people well. But we've enjoyed having someone of his form, his standing. It was good, and the journey comes to an end at the moment. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was funny to me that it still sounds like there's something there, man. Like the toy, it's just like a there's a there's no smoke without fire thing, like yeah, like the Toyota WC WEC effort has been pretty much unopposed for the last couple of years. Like this was this was Alonzo just showing up to notch a few prestigious trophies and like have fun, 
And basically, this was a sort of valedictory cruise in a car that just outmatched anything else on the track, pretty much. And so it's funny to me that, like, even there, it sounds like Fernando can still be intense, man. Like, Fernando sounds like a guy who, when things don't go perfectly, is really quick to get in your grill about what the hell's going on. Why'd you let that happen? I think uh, he should... Start his own team. Fernando Alonso Racing Team. <laughs> yeah, deck chair is a logo. I am actually interested in what, what the next phase is for Alonso. Like, because, like, I, I'm wondering where the un... Where, like, the... Because there's a lot of, like, grounds that he's kind of, like, soiled or whatever. And then also, like, you know, he's not the type of person who... Or he's never had a career where he's like not gone for the pinnacle, so I kind of don't know where the next where the next adventure is, and I don't think it's indie. I don't think that really, at least maybe with a different team or something. But like it, it seems like a, such a frustration. God, especially the last the the, 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 the most recent five hundred. But yeah, I I I have no idea what he's going to do next, or whether or not he's going to just sort of keep an eye on F one and see when when a seat opens up again. But. I, you get that feeling that there's only a certain amount of garages that would kind of want him at the moment. And so many yeah. of them are in like a building phase that they probably don't want to get somebody like him. And like, was, is it worth it? There's so much talent out there. Yeah. And so many series hinge on things other than the driver. So yeah, I, I totally. he's going to have a hard time finding a consistent spot. Yeah, there's so many good drivers in cars that aren't great right now that would win if they were in a better car. You look at Verstappen, you look at um, uh, Ricciardo as well, maybe. like There's there's plenty of really good drivers out there that will probably cause you a little bit less hassle. Well, we'll see about Max, but um, th- then Alonso would. Um, and so much of it is down to the car. So, yeah, and then the young the young yeah. talent coming through is so good. That's you know? the thing. If, if a lot of this, like, cadet core of F1 were kind of fizzling <laughs> out, that would be one thing. But they're not, right? So, you know, they are cheaper. Uh, they're probably more pliant uh, than Fernando is. So they are the they're, – if you're in a building phase, like, if you're McLaren right now, of course Norris and Sainz are ideal. Both young guys, they're going to grow with the team. At some point, might there be trouble uh, if the team is competitive again and both of those guys think they should be the number one, they're doing for the championship? Yeah, probably, but that is a that is a problem you encounter two, three years from now, optimistically. And with Alonzo, you get problems today. So he's not going to help you build a team. Um, so, And if you have a sure thing, yeah, you're pro- like, as you said, he probably doesn't have a home in your garage. And he has never seemed like a dude who is eager to gamble with his own money. You know, I don't think you're going to like the option for him would be, oh, I just love racing. I'm going to start a GT team or I'm going to become an owner operator in IndyCar. He could afford it. He has never like I do not think he has shown any inclination to put his money online when it comes to developing like a racing program i'm gonna make a random random uh, swing for the fences and say if there was ever a team in the next couple of years that i think he might sign for the only one that comes to mind for me weirdly enough is haas yes because i feel like they do have a problem with their two drivers and he would like and it's they're like the one team who might 
you know, throw that. And go Gene that Haas has dealt with guys like that before. Yeah. And that's, and that I think is the difference. He is the one that is exactly what I was thinking is Gene Haas, I think could be sold on. Well, let's see what Fernando can do for us. And you sign him to a one year and you just see what happens. Yeah. Oh, get God. Steiner in there to just, Oh, can you imagine the sparks there? <laughs> yeah. keep the cameras rolling drive to yeah. survive keep it keep it uh just make it happen uh f1 um speaking of mclaren so just a small technical reshuffle uh pat fry who is their engineering director is has apparently given word to the team that he wants to leave uh so in an article again on autosport uh he's on gardening leave which is to say he's <laughs> You know, he's filling out his uh, like cooling off period, I guess, but he is no longer touching anything on the car and he's probably cut out of all like confidential comms. And at the end of that period, he is probably going to leave. Now, the speculation is that with um, Patty Lowe having left Williams, Pat Fry is the natural choice. Yeah, that's, the, I mean, the slim pickings in the UK when it comes to, I mean, where he might go. And he's, oh, he's he's bounced around a bit. Like he had, a most of his career was in McLaren in the 90s and 2000s, of course, but he was a Ferrari for a time. He was at Manor before this, like, more re- most recent stint at McLaren. Um, he helped develop the 2019 car, but he was only there from the latter end of, uh, of 2018. Um, and then I actually didn't know that he had started at Benetton um, doing motorbike stuff and then went to the F1 team. Um so he's been around, like, uh, so yeah, that seems like a, like a pretty, a pretty good, uh, uh, ru- pretty strong rumor. It also then points towards what kind of needs to happen over there, which is that they need to do some sort of um, reshuffle again. Uh, I feel like they've reshuffled the deck a couple of times um, now, but like, God, they're just completely, they have nothing going for them this year that, you know. Any sort of injection of new ideas, I'm sure, will be will be welcomed at open arms. Yeah. yeah, and you know, Patty Lowe came from Mercedes, which was doing pretty great. Pat Fry coming from McLaren, which just had a tumultuous time, and he's yes. leaving it at a having gotten it to a pretty great spot, might be pretty good for Williams. Yeah, totally. That's what they need to happen. I need to go back and watch uh, the Amazon series to see like just what vibe Fry gives off and all that. Cause I'm pretty right. sure he's a character in that, but it's uh, sort of hard to see. Driver. Yeah. And it's sort of hard <laughs> so many of them there. to yeah. see behind the big personalities of like Zach Brown and, yeah. um, Boulier to figure out like what did the technical staff, uh, contribute to all this. But I, I agree. Like the McLaren program took some major strides in the last year and a half. And if, Right now, what you have is a real rebuild job and a troubleshooting job. It's probably good to grab someone who just completed a successful one of those. The question is, was he the problem solver, right? Like, is this right. the guy who made the difference and helped McLaren, helped, like, drag McLaren back from irrelevance? That's a big if. And Williams does not have – I do not think Williams has many opportunities to get this wrong. Uh, I'm also really curious to see – Claire Williams has said that there are some major – car upgrades coming to uh, the Williams for the German Grand Prix. And mm. I'm curious. Six wheels, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, the old the old uh, Tyrell. Uh, I am really curious what the Williams, like, V1.5 
looks like this year. Like if they can make a massive revision to that car and turn it into something serviceable, then you could still say there's a good foundation for a team here. I believe these people can put together a car next year. But if they spend half a season trying to basically like unmake all the mistakes that led to this particular car and the car is still dog shit, um, boy, like good luck, Fry. That, That seems like an Alonzo esque career move. And and uh, kind of to what we were talking a second ago about, like just the quality of drivers as well. Like Williams does not have a problem with the two pilots. You know what I mean? Like the, like the the folks in the in the car, I think are are you know it's they're on opposite ends of the career spectrum. Yep. But I think both of them have performed admirably considering the the, the wheelbarrow they've been forced to push around the track this year. So like yeah, like I think there's a lot of like there's a lot more potential. Like the the problems at Williams are are catastrophic in terms of the car, but if they can turn around some of that and close that gap, I I do think that there's a lot of potential for them to be in the mix. It's just it's such a shame. Like yeah. I, I feel for Kubica especially because he's he's obviously sunsetting his career. Sort of. I don't know. Like I'm not sure he gets a shot with any other team that has a more viable yeah. car. Uh, because fair. I'm not sure anyone is convinced that. Uh, his current skill set and his physical limitations do not mm. equate to giving up a second and a half a lap. And until he can demonstrate that that's not a worry, I'm not sure anyone would be eager to take that risk on him. But again, mm. I saw this theory that the guy always had a head for the mechanics of a yeah. car. And yeah, it's a bit like a signs Norris situation, but even more so. You need two people who are going to be really good sports uh, as you basically try to stand a proper F1 program back up under pressure. And that was the thing that that was never going to work with Alonzo because for him, every season he wasn't competing for a championship was a waste. And so that conversation, imagine like how could McLaren ever have reasonable expectations during their rebuild phase when you always had this guy basically being like, yeah, this car sucks. You know, that's, that's tough. Um, Another story here, just because the news have been, the rules have been in the news so much. Uh, interesting quote here from Michael Massey saying that per a conversation that they had at a driver's meeting in Canada, uh, drivers want to be punished for running off track. They want there to be meaningful consequences for when you exceed the racing limits, uh, Massey says. We had a long discussion with the drivers in Canada, and they all said we want consequences. The prime example is here. I'm sure he's talking about the Wall of Champions. Uh with all of the orange bumps that are on the outside, because of the nature of some of them, there were, there was consequences. So it's one of those ones we'll continue to look at and evolve over time. Uh, are F1 drivers right on this? What do you think they mean? That they and want what consequences? You, yeah. What do you think they mean I, by I, that? And do you think I, that's a good impulse? I, I feel like whenever you get a sentence like that from a driver, it's always... For the other guy, you know, <laughs> yeah, or or, or you're, saying it, you're saying that quote wasn't from Roman Grosjean, <laughs> or it's like I want to be secure in the knowledge that people can't pull a fast one on me because it would be outside the rules. So I, I think they're kind of with us in that we want hard and fast rules, and I think it would make sense for them to have hard and fast rules too, because it would be more clear about what moves they could do. 
in the race. Yeah, I, f- I feel like perhaps what they mean is that, like, the they want it to be in their hands, maybe, or something. Like, there was there's something really irritating about what happened with uh, with Perez, right? Wasn't it with yeah. the coming back on after the, the the skipped that turn or got forced wide or whatever, um, forced himself wide? That like at least if you know they hit a couple of sausage curbs, they can blame themselves for it. Maybe it's just it feels a bit more like racing in that respect. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm glad we're at Silverstone this week, where you know it's a very, it's, I don't know, it's so high speed and the the track is so wide that you don't tend to have people going off unless they fucked up. And then when they do, it's you know, it's it's just it's grass. So good luck. There's an interesting quote at the end of this article um, from Massey, who's the race director, by the way, um, speaking at the Red Bull Ring. Massey also suggested some drivers have been more vocal on the subject in public than they have in driver's briefings. Quote, I think the driver said more to some of you guys about sausages and yellow bumps uh, and consequences than they did to me. So silence is an acknowledgement in some regards of approval. There was this interesting quote from uh, <laughs> Andreas Seidel, who is with, uh, I think he's the current team principal at McLaren now. He's the new guy. Um, I, I might have his name wrong. Uh, but he just made this remark the other week where he's like, look, the drivers keep complaining about the rule, the rulings, but the rulings are there because all these guys at one point were asking for these kind of clear rulings and these definitions. Yeah. So like there is an element like any sport, there's a lot of working the refs. And I think particularly right now, there's kind of some deeper questions about what is, what is good racing in F1 and that might be intention with what is a good show. Uh, but yeah, like consequence is such a vague thing. Like the wall of champions is cool because you have to go right up to that edge again and again mm. and get it right every time to find that little burst of speed. That's really cool. And if you get it wrong, uh, you're, you're basically screwed. That is an interesting, like that is a cool high stakes gamble. The drivers have to run every lap. Um, but I don't think that works in every context. Like, I think if the consequences are too severe and you start discouraging risky moves and there's not, like, good opportunities to bail out of a maneuver that's going wrong, then you have processions. Um, again, like, the thing I'm really curious about is, is there tension between management and the drivers when it comes to the serrated curbs? Because you got Horner talking about, man, going over those serrated curbs cost us a quarter million euros. And you got the drivers <laughs> saying, you exceed the racing lines, like something should go, go, like yeah. something should go wrong for you. And I think last week we were sort of talking, hey, you bounce your car over the curbs and trash your wing or like bust your tray up and damage some components. That seems like fair play. And it still seems like fair play to me, but it might not be great if you're the person who signs the checks at the end of the day. (laughs) And like, because your driver just like straight line to chicane and like just completely, you know, hurdled a series of curbs, uh, suddenly you're looking at almost the, the cost of a car rebuild. 
Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that like that penultimate or the final turn, I guess, at Canada with the wall. Because what, what I often think about there in terms of like the the way in which some of these tracks are designed with the get out. So not necessarily the sort of damage that you may get inflicted, although it kind of applies here. But like I love comparing that with the first turn of Monza, mm-hmm. where you have essentially this a similar kind of a a low speed, you know, double apex turn, but the exit route in Canada is basically you sort of cutting the middle, that little concrete area uh, right of the pit lane entry, and you have to go, they had to put up a cone, remember, because it was Rosberg or somebody missed it a bunch of times, and they put up a cone there. And then you have Monza, where the exit road is so far off the apex, and then it has those, you know, old school sort of uh, um, barriers in it to force you to turn yourself around it. And it just solves the problem. And I feel like there's so many, like so many of the problems we've had in recent years have been, that like the drivers know that the out is is there. They know that it's not that bad. Perez was in a situation where he, if if the wall of champions was there, then he would have, you know, he wouldn't have put himself in a position where he was able to exit from it and then retake himself onto the track. And I always felt that way about Canada, where it was like, oh, it's a shame that like this track is like that when Monza sort of solved that problem by by having the grass and by having this only one way you could do it. So I wonder like. I don't know. Like to me, some of this stuff is it. Sure, it's about the minutia of the sausages and the bumps and all that sort of stuff. But like, you can never standardize these against tracks. Mm-hmm. Tracks are owned by all these different companies all around the world. Like this, and they're used for you know some of them are only used for F one, and then a lot of them are used for lots of other stuff. Like Circuit Paul Ricard is a good example of that. Like they're never going to put sausage curves right. on that. Every every you know uh, Riviera millionaire is fucking up their Mercedes. You can't on the- redesign the castle sector <laughs> in Baku. Like right, that yeah. little that little jog in the track is what it is. But I but I do wish that there was like we we get new tracks added all the time. We have like arenas like we're going to talk about Silverstone. Silverstone had a pretty fundamental change. They changed where the pit the, the where the star finish straight was, and they added the arena section, and uh, at the start of uh, sector one, uh, which is now sector one. Um, like I, I do wish we'd see a bit more, you know, Singapore sling, a bit more substantive change brought into some of these curves to saw or corners to solve the problems. I feel we haven't had that in a couple of years. Uh, last thing I wanted to hit uh, for sure was, man, Christian Horner is just all smiles, uh, just big ups to yeah. everyone. He's giving an interview about like how great this is for Honda, and maybe this win will cause Honda to stay in the sport because apparently there's a little. There's some question about that. Um, but also, he's out there now saying, you know what? Max Verstappen's <laughs> better driving than Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> Make hay while the sun is shining. What he says exactly is, as the, as, as the form driver he is, as the driver in the form of his life, arguably over the past 12 months, he's, the best, he's been the best driver in the world. How do I substantiate that? He's not in the best car, but when you look at the results he's got out of that car since Montreal last year, some of the performance he's put in, he's made virtually zero mistakes in that period. It's only natural that there's always the next generation coming. Lewis has got the benefit of experience. He's still extremely quick. He's in the best car in a very well-oiled machine. Yeah, this is, this, is, uh, this, is, this is prime Horner, I feel yes. like. Just kind of stirring the pot a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't got much to work with, so I feel like this is probably the only material he's had in a while. Um, this is definitely yeah. a, a sort of a return 
of the serves Wolf keeps giving. Just as as Wolf opines on literally everything in the sport, uh, you know, he's just like, well, I think it would be better if we did this. And so, yeah, I, I do love that Horner is out here basically saying, like, my son, who I love very much and am proud of, is the best driver in the world, bar none. Are you saying that uh, Joss Verstappen, uh, Christian Horner, is a Joss Verstappen publish? Uh, I think Christian Horner is the dad of the big brother that Max never had and desperately needed. <laughs> like, genuinely, I think, like, ending up on Christian Horner's team is probably one of the best things to happen to Max because I'm not sure there is another team principal who would have been as good at dealing with the weird politics and energy of both the driver dynamic around Max and Danny, and then also the weird angry dad uh, looming in the corner of the garage for those first couple of years. But is he the best? Is he the best? Oh, it's such an annoying... It's such an annoying statement from Horner. It's just like, like he might be, but your your car isn't up to snuff. Like, great great job. He did. He got a podium. He 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 got a result at in in his backyard at the circus that you own. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, Horner's also a guy was, that really 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 wants to keep for Stappen. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge that's, part that's, of these states. That's a good these point. Remarks. Yeah, this is a. There's even a weird. You'd see like a subtext here, right? Where it's like. You know, really, Lewis being in the best car doesn't even count because the car's just too <laughs> yeah. good. Like, how can how can anyone say Lewis is the best driver when, like, the real proof you're a great driver is driving this? It's not a piece you're of shit. made into the ground. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So there's... They're like, yeah, but even Pierre would win a ch- world championship in a Mercedes, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like... I, th- I, I do think there's an element of praise Max profusely here to or in order to make sure he feels valued. I wonder if there's also an element of does Horner feel in the last analysis that he didn't, he wasn't demonstrative enough with Danny? Because like there has to be a part of him that regrets that Ricardo isn't there. Like he says in this interview that it's, you know, Ricardo leaving was kind of good for Max to come out you know, into his own. Right. But at the same time, that wasn't a choice that Horner made. That was a choice that was made for him. And they effectively don't have a number two driver right now. Yeah. It hasn't worked out for good for Donnie either. So, yeah. So yeah, I think it's an interesting, interesting comment. I think right now, like if you look over these last, like two or three races, you can make the case maybe that Max has been flawless uh, but at the same time, yeah, Hamilton just has this ability to talk. Like, right now he's in a very Prost or Schumacher mode. He's got the best car. His job is to drive it within its limits and yeah. just harvest points. And beat, your, beat his teammate. Yeah. I'm, I think yeah. If, you, if we just played this out and you put Verstappen in Botas's car right now and raced him against Hamilton, I think, like, my knee-jerk response is that Verstappen would make Hamilton or Hamilton would make Verstappen make mistakes. He would make him go back to a few years ago when he was doing those big risky things and getting, yeah, or last year doing risky stuff and getting, you know, having to pay for it. Yep. 
but there would be times when that works and Verstappen would beat him. Yeah. So it would be a great duel. Yeah. It would be, it would be. I think it would be a, a really interesting dynamic as well because I think Botas, for all of his, um, uh, I guess, competition he's giving Hamilton this year, they still have a really, you know, he's still giving him that respectful space that even Rosberg in his last season, you know, there was that bit of friction. Like right now, you don't really feel like there's any tr- friction between Botas and, and Hamilton. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, in a way though, I don't know about Hamilton because I feel like he's just he's as cool as ice now he's kind of like proven himself and what is there left to really prove at this stage um yeah i don't know i think i think verstappen is definitely performing better not having ricardo breathing in his neck and i think gasly's pretty poor performance has has certainly made it easier as well but like yeah i you can't judge a driver off of one race and i don't yeah. know i feel like i feel like this is very much like horner's probably one time during the year we can really bang that drum um because you know they're going to disappear back down the pack now for the rest of the season probably well should we uh move on from austria to britain sure great britain i'll have you know drew pretty good britain i mean it's fine it's i mean yeah it it was it's it's probably not going to be much better in the next few years, but we wish them the best. Uh, we're at Silverstone, um, the famous, uh, I guess, th- three runway um, uh, old airfield, flat as all hell, um, but we love it to bits, circuit uh, with the, where the first Grand Prix was ever held in, in 1950. Um, it's 18 corners. It's uh, clockwise. It's been changed pretty fundamentally. Um a couple of times, actually, you can actually, yeah, you found a really cool link to a Reddit post that kind of showed off the various different um, uh, layouts and configurations it's had. Permutations. Uh, since it was first incepted in the late 40s. Uh, where, yeah, talk us through this one, Drew. This is rad. Yeah, it's this wild, like, Fisher Price color <laughs> <laughs> track showing the the various changes and this is i wish we could get this for every circuit that we do because it's really wild i didn't know that it had undergone but i guess since if you've been around since 1948 then uh, you're gonna get a lot of changes here but yeah it's it's color-coded and yeah it's uh some of the bigger changes yeah, some of the bigger changes that happened over the year was in 91, they sort of added the, the famous Maggots and Beckett section, the high-speed S's that we love today, which have been aped by other tracks, including Austin. Um, and then they added sort of the start of the, the Priory Brooklyn's Arena section um, in 91, uh, which they added to pretty substantially then in, in 2010 is when they added basically the whole like intersection, what we now know as the second DRS straight, which is sort of the, the inside side of the track um and then i'm not sure where they i think it was that year as well in 2010 that they also shifted the star finish line which was um in what we now call sector two back to what was previously the end of sector three before that arena section and they built a whole new complex there um i was there years and years and years ago for for qualifying um uh, and it's uh, it's cool because you can see up towards Stowe, which is the the high speed turn in uh, sector three, uh, and then Vale and Club, which are this sort of slow speed um, uh, chicane. So it's a pretty good viewing spot to see a bunch of the track. Uh, 
But yeah, it's uh, it's gone through some changes over the years, but it's uh, always been one of the fastest. It's about 227 kilometers an hour average speed around this thing. 65% of a lap is at full throttle during the race. Uh, two DRS zones, like I said, the hangar straight at the back of the circuit right after Maggots and Beckett's um, and before Stowe, uh, and then between Cops and Woodcosh. This is one of those circuits where every turn has a name and everyone knows the names of the turns. Um uh, including uh, even the new ones like Village, for instance, uh, or Aintree. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a, a super track. Weather often plays a part here. It's uh, it can be very very sunny at this time of the year. Usually around Wimbledon when this track goes on, there's there's a bit of a heat wave hitting London. Um, they had it a bit earlier this year, but a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, so there's always a chance that maybe you might get a bit of summer rain after after that one burns through. Um, but yeah, aside from that, it's just one of the best races to go to if you're a fan. It's a, a place, you know, just the, we were talking about the, the Festival of Speed and stuff. There's a big sort of a, a camper van, you know, a music festival atmosphere uh, at the track for the whole week. Um, it's kind of uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so you, you, you kind of, it's between two counties as well, we've talked about in the past. Um, what so do they it's, call uh, camper vans in... in- British caravans, caravans. caravans. Caravan? yeah, caravans, yeah. Um, Thanks, Doctor. Yeah, here. so it's a it's a good mix of sort of uh, the 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 local fan and then the the sort of rich aristocrat that gets to go to the uh, the you know the the um, paddock and all that sort of stuff. So it's cool. I like it. It's good fun, and so, usually it throws up. I mean, it can throw up interesting races. I was because uh, of the time of year. I was driving it this morning in F one twenty nineteen. Awesome. And the thing that really struck me that's unusual with this track is because it is so fast, uh, at least in that game simulation of how the Urs works, <laughs> harvesting charge for the oh, battery yeah. is actually really tough at this track. Like, if you deploy the battery and run it down, there aren't a lot of great places on this track for you to recharge because like even uh probably the tightest corners here uh in sector one you got the loop and then you have that run down to brooklyn's and uh luffield that leads on to woodcote uh even those like yes they are slow corners for this track Mm. but you actually sort of break gently and then kind of coast into them a little bit so you're not getting that heavy braking action that like you know if you're at an like if you're at shanghai the end of that straight you just stomp on the brakes and you can recharge you can get a lot of battery charge back just from that right and this circuit because so much of it is fast it's actually to harvest energy for the battery you really have to turn down your battery and uh, probably vary your driving style. So I'm curious to see how that interacts with just driving styles. Uh, I'm also really interested in... So with these tires, the wrap on the 2019 Pirellis is that for a lot, unless unless teams really have their arrow working, fast sectors are really tough to get right because if your arrow is bad, you have to slow down and the tires don't gain heat through those sectors and you lose time. And then you get in that sort of death spiral that uh, mm. Haas has been suffering from. And, you know, then your tires get cold and then you start frying them when you do need grip, uh, you know, in slower, slower areas. So to an extent, like, I feel like this 
track in particular has the potential to be a real nightmare for the midfield teams that have been struggling on these tires. Yeah, there's also a, another issue which presented itself a number of years ago was that because of the sort of uh, the high speed nature of some of these turns is that they, they have this sort of uh, uh, it's like an uneven erosive effect on the tires, which can loosen their um I guess their consistency or can play havoc with them a little bit because there was that one year where everyone's tires kept exploding, which was the worst version of that we've seen. It happened to Hamilton. It happened to, happened to a lot of the, the high, you know, the, the, the high speed cars, the, the cars with with good aero. Um, so I wonder if that'll play it, play it at all. Yeah, you're right. The only, the only slow speed corner or the only high braking corner in the whole thing is veil right near the end. And the rest of them all feel like that. You know, that one turn that downhill in spa where you break for half a second and then just kind of keep going. That's what every turn on this, on this one feels like (laughs) you just, you touch the brakes for a hot second and then you're back on the gas. Also, if I'm driving it is this weird experience now where it feels like driving a lap here, you pass through a mirror and you drive the same track but like just the slightly bizarro version of it. And then yeah. because you like the track all, has a goatee. Yeah. All, well, there's all the old pit. There's all the old yeah. grids and there's the old pit facilities. Well, they still have the pit boxes. They still have the, the grid boxes because some races still use that as a star finish. I think the F2 stuff. Right. Does. So it's really weird as like I find it such a strange lap to drive now because not only do you go through two star finishes, but also the sector like the sectors that follow the start finishes are weirdly similar right like yeah. from the start finish you go through <laughs> abbey farm and village those are all pretty fast like sweepers and then once you clear cops maggots and beckets again it's a fast series of tightening uh s curves it's just it's it's kind of a weird track because i'm constantly like i'm constantly having to check myself like wait which part of the track am i on <laughs> Yeah, I, for the first couple of years when they swapped it, I remember in, F, in playing the game being so confused. as to, like It just felt like I'd started the lap and then I was starting the lap again. <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a fun, it's a weird one. Speaking of tires, we've got the hard C1, medium C2, and soft C3. Most everybody Ooh. is taking one or two hards. Um, and then it's a wide range between five and one mediums. Ricardo is taking one medium, two hards, and 10 softs. Uh, and Hogenberg's doing just the reverse, one hard, two mediums, and 10 softs. So those guys, Renault really betting hard on the soft tire. Uh, the Williams of George Russell taking five mediums, one hard, uh, and seven softs. So uh, I guess a fairly even split there. I guess you're thinking with a circuit this fast, you can just take it easy on the tire. Like, if you drive a clean lap and you're sensible, maybe you can control the wear rate on that? Those are, this is the first, is this the first or only second time we've done the C1, C2, C3 as well? Yeah, it, it I hasn't seen come the up C1 very often. Yeah. Yeah, and then most of the cars are bringing just one hard, uh, three or four mediums, and, uh, Eight or nine. Do they have to bring one of each? Is that why we're always seeing one? Okay, right, yeah. Yeah. Weather-wise, yeah, I know you guys were hoping for rain, but uh, it looks like 13% on qualifying day Mm. and 3% on race day. Temperatures in the high 70s Fahrenheit or 
I'm sorry, low 70s Fahrenheit or low 20s Celsius. Wind 18 kilometers an hour or 10 miles an hour. God, sounds like heaven. Let's go. Let's go. 60s percent humidity. Yeah. Just, just, just balmy. Didn't Spielberg look gorgeous though? Although maybe too yeah. hot, but but it's just it's so gorgeous. Spielberg always looks gorgeous, but this year it was deceptive because yeah. like yeah. it was like the sweltering pit <laughs> of hell, and I'm still like watching that, feeling like Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music, where I'm like, oh man, just imagine being there right now. And the answer is like, yes, I'd be in a medical tent huffing oxygen. Uh, yeah, but- it's like imagine Julie Andrews doing the spin, but then she like bursts into flames like a Minecraft zombie yeah. when it's out in the daytime. That kind of thing, yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Should we go through some standings here? Let's do fantasy standings first. We've oh, got, uh, let's see. I have changed up my team a little bit. All I've right. got All McLaren right. in here instead of Racing Point. Uh, and I swapped out uh, Perez for, who did I have in there before? I can't get rid of them because the, 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 I got them all so cheap. I, I'm just stuck. I'm stuck Someone, on my my lemons. <laughs> Someone on Twitter was pointing out that his team had um, just the Mercedes guys and filled in the rest with El Cheapos, and yeah. he was crushing everyone. Oh no, that's so wow. As uh, as in life, I guess. Yeah, um, the Hamiltons do break the system. Uh, okay, in 10th place in the Shift F1 League, I am, let's see, I am number 669. Take uh, that. I'm 536th. Place. Okay, crushing me. <laughs> yeah. 10th place <laughs> is Woe to the Future Part 3. Then we've got Dragon Ball GT, Fry the Tires, Speed Beast, Pointless Racing Force. In 5th place is Mercedes All the Way. 4th is Hamilton's Break the System. Number 3 is Steering Wheel, Hey, Hey, Give It to Me, Move, Come On. Two is Maka F1 and still in first place, Alpha Emojis. Alpha Emoji from South Africa. Indeed. That's the yeah. that's the flag, at least. Uh, Hamilton on top in the Drivers' Championship with 197 points. Botas behind him with 166. Verstappen in third place with 126. Vettel's got 123. Leclerc in fifth place with 105. Then we jump down to double digits. Pierre Gasly in sixth place with 43. Sainz has 30. Norris with 22. Raikkonen just behind with 21. I also saw someone point out on Reddit that Raikkonen now has more points uh, at this part of the season with Alfa Romeo than he did with Ferrari, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) Tenth place is tied between teammates Hulkenberg and Ricardo with 16 points. Magnussen just behind them with 14. Perez has 13 points. Uh, Danny Kvyat, 10 points. And in 15th place, Albon with seven. Stroll has six points. Grosjean on the board with two. Antonio mm. Giovinazzi with one. And then we got George Russell and Bobby K with zero. Constru- you want- Go ahead. Oh, sorry. If, as I, if you, there's a couple of like little little stories in there, but I think just if, if you want one driver to look on who's not at the top this race, I think the latter half of this season is going to be make or break for Romain Grosjean. Um, uh, he really start needs to start getting points, or he's not going to have a seat next year. Yes, uh, I I think you're right because that's another team. Well, I mean, all teams have. Well, I don't know about all teams, but a lot of the teams have these. You know, Ferrari has a driver academy. Renault's got a deep junior driver academy. I think 
there's a lot of people just waiting in the wings and Roman's had two years to figure it out and he really really has not so far so I think mm. you're absolutely right listen to our drive to survive podcast uh, yes yes <laughs> absolutely uh, the constructor standings Mercedes way out in front with 363 points Ferrari's got 228 Red Bull with 169 in fourth place McLaren with 52 Renault's got 32 uh, Alfa Romeo with 22 Racing Point has 19 Scuderia Toro Rosso with 17 Haas in ninth Gene mm. Haas team has 16 points just ahead of Williams with the uh-oh yeah, we're we're starting to see the stratification of that mid tier as well. Like third, fourth, and fifth have got ten points between them at least, right? So it's looking, uh, it's you're starting to see who's 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 edging out a little bit there. So it should be, you know, a little bit less close, but I still think interesting for the rest of the season. Well, should we take it to some emails, guys? Let's do it. All right, shift of one podcast at gmail dot com. If you'd like to send us uh, an email, you could also go to f one dot cool slash emails. And yeah, the form you can do there, that, which a lot of people that's, do. That's the cool way to do it. it definitely, <laughs> definitely was always designed to work that way. I'll take the first one. Kyle from Austin says, changing my mind on Hamilton. He says, what's up, Danny, Drew, and Rob? Been listening to your podcast since its inception back in 2014. Man, that feels like a long time ago. And yes, I was one of those weird people who listened to it for a full year before ever watching a race. Wow. My question is, have you guys ever radically changed your opinion on a driver? For all my F1 watching years, I've never really liked Lewis Hamilton. It's not one thing I could even put my finger on, but something always rubbed me the wrong way with that guy. That he uh, that was until I watched an episode of David Letterman's My Next Guest featuring the five-time world champion himself. I really enjoyed the interview, and it was the most uh, personable and candid I had ever seen Lewis. Learning about his childhood and just how much of a racing prodigy he has always been, plus the seemingly difficult, if not destructive, relationship with his coach-slash-father um, made me really feel for the guy. Also, I love the segment where he and Letterman drove a Mercedes station wagon around a racetrack and Hamilton literally set the brakes on fire. Man, I was cracking up laughing. I highly recommend watching it. So although it's always been nice to see someone rather than him at the top of a step of the podium, uh, when he inevitably wins his sixth world title this year, I won't be mad. I'll be happy for him this time. Uh, yeah, so gentlemen, is there any driver whose opinion on you have, uh, you know, either positively or negatively changed over the years? I would say I echo Kyle's um shift on hamilton i always thought he was i think the the easiest way to describe it is he always just seemed a little too hashtag blessed uh mm. you know to me his modesty felt forced but the more i've watched him the more it seems legit and uh i think he he genuinely feels what he says and um you know, for as long as I've watched him, he's been a, a pretty gracious competitor. I know he wasn't always that way, but uh, I have really come around uh, on him too. I, I think the other f- phenomenon that I've noticed with me and drivers is that uh, there are some drivers that were just sort of black holes to me, that were just sort of like a gray face. I had sort of face blindness to them, didn't really know who they were. But uh, I, I think that, number one, takes time. And number two takes a an effort to learn about them this these are guys like Perez and Hulkenberg mm. uh Magnuson you know if you watch them enough they'll show you things about their driving style or their in their interviews after the race their their personality 
and listening to the podcast really helps the formula drive, One. drive to survive helped me a lot as well. oh yes that that as well uh but yeah f1 beyond the grid is, is the podcast drive to survive is the the netflix documentary i think those went did for me at least uh, a lot to just put some names to faces you know yeah i feel like i'm constantly flipping on people and part of that is we learn more about people and eras as time goes on. And then also, like, there's the we love a winner effect. Um, yeah. Like, I really didn't like Max Verstappen uh, for much of his rise. I'm still, I still have, I don't know about him as a person, but like, I've come around to no, he is justifying a lot of the hype. I will always think that a lot was forgiven of him early in his career that would not have been forgiven of other drivers. Uh, but at the same time, like I've come around to seeing him as like one of the legitimate stars of this, uh, this upcoming generation. I think one of the biggest shifts I've had is I was all in on Ferrari in the nineties and early two thousands. And I still admire Michael Schumacher, but I think when, when I consider that era from the vantage of time and having seen a lot more F1 and having learned a little bit more about all that went on in that period, it is difficult for me not to regard him as like a really charismatic villain. Kind of a, <laughs> kind of a Jordan-like figure, right? Where nice. incredible competitor, incredible skills, utterly ruthless, but it's not until years later you realize that there were a lot of people who had legitimate bad blood with him and did not feel that he was like a with with Schumacher in particular did not feel like he was a clean competitor. And you get that a lot from the podcast. Whenever Tom Clarkson asks drivers about like, so what was Schumacher like? They're like, well, he would do literally anything to win. Right. And I think one of the things that's really going to complicate that legacy is that he had that horrific skiing accident and his health status is unknown. It is presumed to be uh, pretty pretty poor. And so it, there's a bit of a Senna effect where Senna died at or near his prime and became kind of a secular saint for Formula mm -hmm. One. I think Schumacher, because his postscript has this kind of depressing misfortune attached to it, I think there is a little more reticence in talking openly about what he meant for the sport and what he was like as a competitor. But yeah, we hear enough to know that the guy went like if Senna went up to the edge, Schumacher was kind of known for going over that edge, according to a lot of people who raced with him. Um, and, at, you know, back then, I think a lot of people were willing. I was certainly willing to dismiss that as sour grapes. But now I look back on it, and man, the guy worked his team. His team worked the refs. Uh, Ferrari was fist in glove with the, in some ways, the FIA at the time, and also Bridgestone. There were just so many things about that period of Ferrari dominance that at the time it was fun and exciting to bandwagon on that. I look back on it now, maybe they were all villains. <laughs> yeah, I think that's 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 a fantastic answer, actually. Um, yeah, Schumacher's definitely one that time has has swayed you either way. I, I feel like with the current crop, um, 
I think Vettel has been an interesting one for me. Mm-hmm. I've kind of flip-flopped on him a little bit. I used to love Verstappen, and I, I feel a little bit, I think, post-Ricciardo leaving, I feel a little bit um, funnier about that. Um, but the one I actually really enjoyed a lot more in his later career, who I didn't really give much stock in for the longest time, was Massa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I came around on him quite a lot. Uh, uh, he was always kind of like the, you know, the little brother of that of that duo, and and I think once, uh, especially especially when he had his multiple retirements um, from the from the sport, <laughs> we got to enjoy him so many times. Um, I definitely warmed to him, and seeing him in Formula E right now has been a lot of fun. Actually, just kind of having him around because he's he's kind of like a jovial effect. I feel like on the rest of the grid, even when they're all complaining to the race steward about restarting the race, which happened, um, I think in the last race, which is pretty cool. Um, Drew, do you want to take this next one? This is from uh, Jacques. I think this is a reference to your guys' podcast last week, so yes. I wanted to bring it up. <clears throat> Hi, guys. Love the show, and the addition of Rob has been just the right thing to take the podcast to the next level. I agree. Uh, I have a quick clarification for the confusion on drive through penalties. Drew was correct in his hunch. Only a specified time penalty, i.e. a five-second penalty, has options for how the driver can serve the penalty. However, they do not have as much choice as you would think. If the driver pits, they are obligated to serve the penalty at the pit stop by pausing for the required amount of time before performing work on the car, hovering uh, that hovering that Drew referenced. If the driver does not intend to pit again, they may simply take the penalty as time added to their final race result, which is almost always preferred. A drive-through penalty, however, has no options and must be served by driving through the pit lane without performing any work on the car or changing tires. This is a fairly harsh penalty as it is equivalent to losing about 20 seconds of race time depending on the pit lane loss at a specific track. If In Magnuson's case, the team did nothing wrong as they are required to serve the penalty within three laps and would have had to drive through the pit lane again for their stop regardless of when they took it. The the three-lap rule was actually originally instituted because Michael Schumacher once (laughs) left his drive-through penalty until the last lap, and when he entered the pits to serve the penalty, he actually crossed the finish line in the pit lane, thus winning the race while barely losing any time. The go, but having still technically taken the penalty. I think that was Silverstone as well. Was it really? I think it was was Silverstone did that, yeah. There is actually also an even harsher option, the stop-and-go penalty, which requires the driver to enter the pit lane, stop for the required amount, then leave the pit lane without doing any work to the car. Hope this clears things up a bit. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Jacques. I feel like we haven't seen a stop-go in a while. They used to be um, much more prevalent, I feel like, four or five years ago. Um, They were devastating, though. Oh, my God. Just like nightmare yeah. cool down everything tires brakes the whole shebang and you lose like 30 to 35 seconds off your time um horrific uh i'm glad they've kind of pulled back on those they're just like widow makers for for races yeah uh we've one last question here i'll, I'll just quickly take this one as from Wa- wagner um who is a brazilian who emailed in uh, but i remember this was actually while i was on the podcast i think it was two weeks ago you're talking about uh, rubens barcello uh, drew and his sort of uh um I guess his uh, his legacy in Brazil. He's uh, Wagner chimes in says hi guys. I'm Wagner. I live in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Been following the podcast since this year's Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, it's been very informative for me. Helps me enjoy more the races. Uh, I was a child during the Senna era and a but a huge fan anyway. Um, now after a long time not really following F1 closely, I'm coming back. 
Uh, there were many references about Brazil lately on the show, so I thought I'd give you my opinion on some of those. Uh, last episode, you said Barrichello had a reputation here of being slow. Uh, it's true. We have memes with his face and phrases like, did you see the Berlin Wall fell? The thing was, Senna was unstoppable. Uh, he would think of nothing else other than the win. And then his uh, heir, as in H-E-I-R, let Schumacher pass on team orders. Uh, no, we didn't like it. Uh, he also referenced a couple of other things you were talking about in terms of the different sort of city rivalries uh, in F1 oh, um, okay. because of the, the circuit swapping. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's always interesting to hear from countries that have like a deep sort of cultural attache with mm-hmm. uh, or attachment with uh with f1 because there's not that many i guess there's like sort of brazil france you know uh or italy england uh, ireland's one has always been jordan of course because we had a um a driver and a team owner um uh in eddie irvine and and, and uh eddie jordan um but yeah it's uh it's been cool to to hear that for rubens barrichello i, know. I always liked rubens I always thought he was, he was, I think he was a sensational driver on his day. Mm. I always wonder if he'd been clear to race, what would have been possible with him in that car. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And that's, again, this is why everyone from that era at Ferrari seems a little bit like a villain. Uh, because, <laughs> like, you could have had a truly amazing intra team rivalry uh, in that period. And they never came close to allowing that. And so you'd see flashes of how good Rubens was. That year that um, Braun was unstoppable. Uh, yeah, it was Button who took the championship. Barrichello damn mm. near uh, nabbed him out from under it. Nabbed it out from was, under him. So, yeah. Was that, the, was that the year that Schumacher almost put him in the wall? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And that was, again, the dude was petty. Like, yeah. I was really shocked that... His old colleague, who he sabotaged kind of ruthlessly at Ferrari, uh, he just ran him into a wall. Or tried mm. to. It was unreal. Yeah. But Crazy. On totally a, trashed with Villeneuve, what Villeneuve said about Schumacher, too. Like, mm. we, you know, Villeneuve, Villeneuve called it all the way back when, and we had years where it was kind of proven right again and again. What, what a great battle out that. Yeah, what year was it that uh, Villeneuve won his championship? But right at the very end, uh, I think like either ninety like seven was it? Was it that early, was it? or was it two thousand? Oh no, that was when they had the crash. Sorry, let me see. There was there was a race where there was an incident. And either Schumacher took him out or tried to, and at the end of that race, um, Villeneuve said he would never trust Schumacher again. Um, as a competitor, like a really harsh verdict, just like the guy is not an appropriate racer and, you know, at the time it seemed like, well, what do you know coming into the series? You're kind of the new kid to F1. Uh, but in retrospect, yeah, he was probably right. Yeah, it was 97. Um, uh, there was a video that went up. Um, I feel like it was... Oh, no, actually, I, I guess I w- had watched it recently, maybe. There's a video on the F1 YouTube channel. I'll, I'll send it to you, Drew, so you can you can uh, post it. But it was 20 years on, and it was um, uh, about uh, Jacques Villeneuve and, I think, the, the end of the season, right, with, with Schumacher. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, an, an interesting watch. I'll, I'll post it to you there, Drew. Okay. 
Uh, we also got a question here about the video game F1 2019. Have you guys been playing that? I've been playing so much F1 2019. Oh yeah, that game. That game kicks ass. Yeah, it's really good. Danny, am I? It feels to me like the driver AI is way tougher this year. Yes, I, it just feels way more like I've had way more like random cool shit happening like interesting fights that are happening in front of yeah. me that i'm like trying to find the the, the third angle or they third go hard around. at each other where you're like yes. oh shit like these two guys are going at it and i think i can sneak past both yeah it's i've had way more like incidents like that happening well and i think last year i was still able to really easily game their collision avoidance like if you basically bullied them in a corner they mm. seemed really av- avoidant of any kind of maneuver yeah. like that. And so you basically always, like, once you contested a corner and just cut a little wide, they would bail out. And that is not happening in this edition. Like, they are basically, like, contesting the corner all the way through, and they will bang wheels repeatedly. Yeah. I also feel like the um, handling... I feel like I am. I have the same settings I had in previous years, but it's way less forgiving for just like breaking late and cutting people off and then just getting back on the gas. Like I feel like I'm not breaking fast enough or yeah. like uh, like or I'm not getting up to speed again after. There's like, yeah, the only, the only thing that's still there is kind of, I always remember if you do the instant replay and when you get back on the gas, I always feel like they give you like a 10% like speed bump off the replay. Like... If you weren't going to take yeah. somebody, overtake somebody at the time, if you replay it and do it, you'll you'll get them. It's, yeah. it's like a, yeah, but aside from that, it's, yeah, I think it's it's super good. That cuts both ways. If you try to replay a corner that you came up on too fast, like yeah. if you do not basically restart the entire straight leading up to the corner, if you're like, no, I think this is a good place where I'll have time to react to break, <laughs> you will start, you, you will resume from replay and you'll just go like hurtling off the track. You're yeah. like, nope, that ain't it. Like even worse than you did the yeah. first time. But it's, um, yeah, I am just completely into it. And I think that last year I was playing a lot with the systems, uh, you know, the recovery settings and the fuel mixture, et cetera. This mm. year, like, but I would be doing it on, okay, I'm going to run a couple laps in energy recovery mode with low output, and then I'll run a right. few in high. This year, like, way more it's than not, before. It's not called high. I, you, know, you know what it's called? Uh, overtake and hot lap. Oh, sorry, you're talking about ERS, are you? Yeah. No, I, I thought you were talking about the fuel because I keep oh, laughing. Rich. Every- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rich energy. Yeah. It's called rich energy. It's so good. Um, but yeah, like I am basically like almost sector by sector fiddling with ERS settings because yeah. like the other drivers will press you so hard that like if you didn't open up the power a little bit on a medium straight, they will. It's so I I don't remember ever like using the ERS that much at all last year. Like I think maybe one thing they did is they automatically set it to hot lap at the start of a race, yes. which I don't think. Yeah, so I don't think I think that like I like engaged with it a little bit on like the longer races when I was dipping down into like the the lower ten percent and I get the call. But like obviously now because it's on the hot lap setting that's happening within like the first fucking two laps, regardless of if I knew like a twenty five percent race. So I I feel like I that got me to mess with it, and now I've been like using it more. Like 
it's uh yeah like doing undercuts and stuff has become like this whole like oh shit i'm gonna well i'm gonna get into the pit so i'll get a bit more there and then i'll i'll yep. go out all wheel spinning coming yeah. out on cold tires might as well cut the fuel cut the uh you know energy output for a minute yeah mm. and it feels like the earth system just makes a little more sense in terms of um how it recharges makes more sense like right it just feels more organic when like i like push the brakes hard into a corner and I will see that that is way different than sort of a lift and coast, which isn't going to give you anything uh, on the air system. feels like that system is way more tuned this year. And it feels mm. like, Oh, the, the battery, the energy harvesting really does depend on your driving style now in a way that it didn't before. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like there's like a benefit. Like I now feel like when I'm driving, I'm like weighing up all of the different things. Like I want to yeah. go easy on my tires. I want to get my fuel is a little bit low at the moment. So I want to lift and coast, but then, oh fuck, I'm not charging our battery. Like you can see the, you know, the, the bar is going up and down kind of. Yeah. Cool. There's no one like ideal lap around a circuit. You need yeah. to just like everything is this trade off, which I think does where it does hurt this game a little bit is I don't think the driving models are particularly detailed for like the vintage cars. They don't feel super like mm. they don't feel as convincing. Um, but also, I think this entire system is built around simulating in detail. These really complicated vehicles and the older F1 cars just aren't. And right, it feels yeah. like they just feel less interesting. It's I did a, a couple of laps of um like a classic Ferrari in Monaco, and it was like the scariest shit. It was so okay. cool, but yeah. it was just like you're throwing it around corners, like ah! So, it felt like there was like old Senna, you know, cameras stuck on the back kind of things, like fuck, I gotta crash any minute. I was playing around with the Ferrari, the 2004 Ferrari, and mm. I was like, that that was the most dominant car until like last year, like in F1 history. So maybe it really mm. was this easy. It is ridiculous when you're driving it. It feels like you are basically an, in a slot car. And your oh only God. real job is to, like, how hard do you push the pedals at any given moment? Because the car is just, like, perfect. It's on rails. It's a really, like... Like, I haven't tried that yet. If that car was that good, it is no wonder that, like, Schumacher <laughs> just kind of slept walked uh, to a championship. Awesome. Question here from at Biostats underscore on twitter uh is f1 2019 worth playing if you only have a standard controller or do you need oh. to invest in more are you playing with a wheel rob i am i'm not um i'm playing i'm playing with a logitech g29 which is the playstation 4 slash pc one um uh and pedals as well uh yeah i'm enjoying it on that i i i used to play it every year on controller as well because i was reviewing them for GameSpot forever so i'd have to um because uh, it wasn't like a fair assessment otherwise. But uh, yeah, I, w w what do you think, Rob? I mean, I'm playing it on a... Because I used to be a wheel and pedals purist, mm. uh, but that changed when I got a big screen TV and an Xbox One X. So like, if I want the 4K like HDR experience, I basically have to play on my Xbox because my PC is just not at that level right now. Mm. Um, and I'm happy with that trade-off. The... The assists are really, really good in F1 2019, where I do not feel like anything is being taken away from me in terms of, like, driving. Um, the thing that usually, like, kills me with a racing game is that there is no way to make a thumbstick feel like a steering wheel. 
Like yeah. you just can't, you just cannot model the full lock to lock, um, you know, precision of a racing wheel to a stick. What they've done really cleverly in 2019 is they've attached like the, there's a, if you leave the steering assist on like the low setting, basically what it does is it interprets what you're, you're sending to the stick contextually. Uh, I talked about this a little bit on the waypoint podcast, but basically like if you are in first gear and you throw the stick all the way to the left and hold it, like you're coming out of like turn two in Shanghai, the game knows that you basically want to go to maximum lock and like haul that thing around the, around the corner. If you are taking like a fast corner in like fourth or fifth gear and you slowly push that that thumbstick all the way to the stop. The game knows you don't want to push the the steering wheel all the way over. <laughs> it knows what you're trying to do, and it just interprets that correctly. So, like once I got used to it, um, it felt perfectly natural. And there's still a really high like skill ceiling to driving precisely in this, particularly with um, man braking with the triggers is tough because yeah the, like I, again it feels like they've also gotten the brakes better than they've been before which means that if you're not really good at a little bit of like rhythm braking those things are going to lock and screw up your tires so i don't know how it is with the pedal but with the the left trigger brake i am constantly like um it is very rare that i feel like completely aced braking into a right. corner at least uh, you you're playing on the Xbox One, so you've gotten those those awesome uh, rear triggers for acceleration as well, right? Because yeah. that's like I feel like so, more than I feel like any other driving video game, like being able to feather the throttle is like so important on on in these g- games, you know, exiting corners and and being in low gears, especially um, uh, especially in the Formula Two stuff. Jesus, I don't know how you'd be able to do it otherwise. And um, those things, like I kept spinning those cars. I just there was some. I, maybe I was driving them in an F one way, but I just couldn't uh, couldn't wrangle them around Spain. No, they're uh, very unforgiving when you get back on the throttle. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah, so I guess to to this per- what was the person's name who asked the question? Uh, Ryan. Ryan. Uh, if Ryan's playing on a PlayStation Four, that's also a, worth considering. That maybe if they don't have that, um, it might be worth investing because I feel like that's that's more important than the brakes. I feel like the brakes are important as well to have that and and the, the analog stick. But uh, um, the, to having that acceleration control or throttle control is like really important in an F one game. I feel like anyway. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast, uh, in addition to sending us an email at, at or at, oh boy, so many ads, Shift F1 Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, I am at Drew Scanlon. Danny O'Dwyer is at Danny O'Dwyer. Rob Zachney is at Rob Zachney. Uh, that's all of us around the internet, but should we take it around the world, Danny? I think it's probably time that we rest around the world. <laughs> We got some Gander Mountain trucks in there at the Kentucky Speedway this weekend for round 13. That is the, oh God, uh, <laughs> standby. <laughs> My calendar did not import the name of this one. It did import oh, the names God. of the other ones. What brand will it be, Rob? What brand will it be? Meso- mesothelioma or- Settlement uh, 500. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better. It is the buckle up in your truck 
225. Wow. Is that just to <laughs> Look, get people to wear? You stop killing yourselves. I, I swear to fucking God, people. Every time. <laughs> Kentucky Office of Highway Safety. Okay. Uh, we also got <laughs> we also got the Xfinity Series. Also at the Kentucky Speedway for the Alsco 300. I believe. I don't know what Alsco is, but it looks... Here's what I'm going to say. It looks like a like an eco-friendly brand. It's green. There's like a kind of a field sweep through it. So, so almost certainly there's an oil company behind it's it. It's an oil company. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know if uh, one of you guys wants to look that up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, okay. We also got Formula 2 supporting uh, Formula 1 at Silverstone. Formula E is racing in Brooklyn twice. Whoa. On Saturday yeah. and Sunday, uh, IndyCar is at Toronto this weekend. The Motocross Grand Prix is in Indonesia for the MXGP of Asia. Super Formula is at Fuji Speedway, which is uh, in the foothills of Mount Fuji in Oyama, Sunto District, Shizuoka Prefecture, ah, Japan. Great prefecture. And guess what? What, Drew? We got NASCAR, too. What prefecture? Uh, the Quaker State Prefecture. <laughs> it's the Quaker State 400. Like the, like the oatmeal? Yeah, yep. Put it in your oatmeal. Quaker State. That's what they say. <laughs> Is that a college where people learn to make oatmeals and life cereal? <laughs> I go to Quaker State. Yeah. They serve life cereal every breakfast. I love live cereal. It's the best. The British Grand Prix kicks off Friday, July 12th at 5 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2, followed by Practice 2 at 9 a.m. on ESPNU. <laughs> Me? Practice 3 they... is Saturday, July 13th at 6 a.m. on ESPN2, qualifying uh, later in the day at 9 a.m. on ESPN News. And then finally, okay. the British Grand Prix, everyone, Sunday, July 14th at 8.30, the broadcast starts. The race at 9.05 a.m. on ESPN2, The Deuce. ESPNU, ESPN News, ESPN2. Yeah, and if you want to watch Pit Lane Live, it's on ESPN3. The only thing that's Sweet. not on here, ESPN. <laughs> Must be something big on this week. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. As I mentioned at the top, you can get access to all our uh, fun and weird videos and, and podcasts that we do. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's only been two weeks, but maybe because we had that back-to-back earlier in the month, I'm itching. I've been I've, yeah. been, I've been watching a lot of Formula 2 just to to keep the... Uh, get your fix. <laughs> get my fix, yeah. Yeah. So I'm yeah, looking I'm looking forward, forward to, it. to it. This is a fun one. It's kind of it's like Monaco a bit, where it's like I don't. The race is always the the way it goes, but I always look forward to Silverstone. Like same with Spa and stuff. Um, but it has the potential, I think, to, to to be an interesting race. Like you know, it's it's kind of the first time we. I feel like it's the first time we have like a super high speed track. Um, I feel like later in the series season where we have stuff like Interlagos turning up and, and Abu Dhabi, we have a bit more of these ones. Or maybe, you know what, maybe it is actually just because of what we just had that like the past couple of races feel like a little bit stodgy. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Rob, you pumped? Oh yeah. I, like, 
my suspicion is uh, this seems like it's gonna be a great ta- track for Mercedes, but I don't know. It's also a great track to have engine power, and if that forecast warms up, who knows? Hmm. Alrighty, well, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. Yeah.